Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. This week, we're going to look at scriptures for fourth Advent. Now, what does that mean? There are four Sundays in Advent. Actually, the season of Advent is the beginning of the church calendar year. So the church calendar, liturgical church calendar, a church that has a liturgy, traditional liturgy, does not begin at the first of the year. It begins at the first of Advent. Advent kicks off the year. And Advent has four Sundays before we get to Christmas Day, which is always December 25th. And that day, of course, is a movable day. So the four Sundays preceding that day, Christmas Day, are the four Sundays of Advent. Now, we've already discussed Advent 1, Advent 2, Advent 3. Now, when you look at the scriptures that are in this post for Advent 4, you will notice that they're quite eclectic, particularly in the New Testament. You'll also notice that we've got December 24th listed and Christmas Eve listed. There are a couple of blanks on uh, Friday, Old Testament, and uh, December 24th, Old Testament. That's because the book is Baruch. Baruch is, um, he was the um, writer for Jeremiah. It was associated with Jeremiah, but that's an apocrypha book. And so I don't do the apocrypha. Apocrypha is good, but not the Word of God. And so you have an empty space there. You'll see in the New Testament scriptures, you've got Revelation, you've got Titus, you've got Galatians, and then at the bottom, uh, Philippians. And in the New Testament, you've got John 3, 16 to 21, which is just a great scripture. And then we have Luke 1 and Luke 2 and Matthew 1. Actually, Luke 1 and then Matthew uh, 1, which is the um, preparation for the birth of Jesus Christ, which, of course, as you know, is on Christmas Day. So Advent 4 begins on Sunday, ends on Saturday, Christmas Eve, and it is a fantastic way to prepare ourselves one more week for the coming of Christ. Now, these scriptures are very, very good, very good. Now, when they are very dense, very significant, very important. In our time together, I'm just going to hit the highlights for you. So if I don't cover them as well as I normally would, um, it's just we just don't have enough time to go through all of them well. So I'm going to hit the high points. But in your preparation for this week of for Advent, as you prepare for the big day, which is the incarnation of Christ, the birth of Christ, that you really think about these scriptures. They're quite fabulous. Now, on Sunday, we are starting in the Old Testament with Genesis 3, 8 to 15. That's an interesting place to begin because that is where man fell. That's where Adam was deceived by the serpent and uh, disobeyed the Lord. The Lord told him what to do, and he did not do what God said. The Lord told him what to do in Genesis 2, and in Genesis 3, he ate from the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And um, in Genesis 3, God says, if you, you must not touch it or you die. Now that Satan quotes that verse, but he quotes it wrongly at the beginning of chapter 3. So this is uh, a wonderful commandment by the Lord in chapter 2. You can do anything you want, just don't eat of that tree. Just You see that tree? Yes, do not eat of it. 
tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you shall die. Well, he sinned against the Lord. We start in verse 8. The man and his wife, this is Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the cool of the, uh, the day. He was walking in the garden, and they hid from him, and they hid from him. And God said, where are you? Verse 9, verse 10, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Who told you you were naked? How do you know what naked is? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? See, then now he has knowledge about his nakedness. Before, there's no problem in being naked. But now he's covering himself. The man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Mm. So here's the cursing of the serpent in 14 and 15. And then later um, in 16 following, we have the curse of the woman and the curse of the man. So that's how we begin chapter 3 this horrendous situation where man has sinned against God. And of course, we're going to need a savior to save us from our sins. So that really is an apt beginning. Zephaniah chapter 3, 14 to 20. We have studied Zephaniah in weeks past. And Zephaniah is a minor prophet at the end of the 39 books of the Old Testament. It's not the last one. Zephaniah chapter 3. 14 to 20, a beautiful scripture. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel, be glad and rejoice. O daughter of Jerusalem, the Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. He is going to provide a way out, a way to deal with your sin, a way to deal with your transgression, a way to save you, a way to restore you. Okay? The Lord, the the King of Israel is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2. 1 Samuel is a history book. We're going to go past Joshua, past Judges. 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 through 10. This is Hannah's prayer. Now, Hannah is Samuel's mother. Hannah wanted from God a miracle, needed a miracle. And she got one, and she is praising the Lord. Beautiful scripture of the praise of the Lord uh, of Hannah. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel 7 is a very famous chapter. And it talks about God's promise to David. Okay? God's promise to David. Now, remember, the first king was Saul. The second king was David. The third king was Solomon. The second king, David is a very, very famous person. The Messiah came from his line. And 2 Samuel chapter 7, 1 to 17, talks about that. Verse 16, your kingdom, your house, and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And of course, he's referring to the Messiah. He's referring to Christ in the future. This is about 1000 BC. Christ becomes, is, is the Messiah, and he is uh, king and his kingdom will uh, remain forever and ever. It's established, and we are now just waiting for the second coming of Christ now. Very important scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel, Samuel chap, this is Thursday, chapter 7, 1829. This is the prayer of David. 
Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, verse 18, okay? He says in verse 22, How great you are, O sovereign Lord! There is no one like you, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. Verse 24, You have established your people Israel as your very own forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. Verse 28, O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy. So we have the promise of God in the first half of chapter 7 of 2 Samuel that he is going to establish the line of David as to be the line from which the Messiah will come. And in the second half of 7, David appropriately praises him. Then we go to Christmas Eve in Isaiah 59, which is our next Old Testament text, Christmas Eve. And I hope all of you have a fabulous Christmas. We will be looking at Christmas Day and following next week. Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, verses 15 to 21. Isaiah 59, verses 15 to 21. According to what they have done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. Verse 18. He will repay the islands their due. The Redeemer will come to Zion. So Lord is going to judge his enemies, and the Redeemer is going to come to Zion, verse 20, to those who in Jacob who repent of their sins. So the key for each one of us is repentance. If we will repent of our sins, turn away from our sins, turn toward the Lord, we will be saved to the Messiah, to Christ. If we would do not repent of our sins, and we have produced works that are not congruent with a love for Christ, a love for God, a willingness to do God's will, then we are going to have some significant problems, and that is not going to be good. So you always want to remember, I always need to remember, repent of your sins and follow the Lord. Okay? Revelation chapter 12. Revelation, let's look at Revelation 12. That's a great scripture. And you may know this scripture, 12, 1 to 10. It's very powerful. Um, the woman and the dragon, Revelation 12, 1 through 10. A great and wondrous sign, verse 1, appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. There was a sign that appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. Okay, what, what is all this? Verse 7, there was war in heaven. Michael, this is Michael the archangel, and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, and he was not strong enough. They were not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. This is how the demonic came about, and they were cast to, to uh, earth. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Remember, we saw him in um, Genesis chapter 3. The serpent deceived Eve. She ate and sent into the world. Interestingly, in Romans chapter 5, the entrance of the world was attributed to Adam and his sin um, in saying yes to Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with them. So that beautiful scripture in, Roman, uh, in Revelation 12 is about the entrance of Satan into the world and how he was used um, to deceive uh, Eve 
and God allowed that to happen. And unfortunately, Adam and Eve did not obey the commandment of the Lord that I referred to in Genesis chapter 2. So Satan is alive and well for sure. But his time is short. His time is short until Christ comes back again. Let's look at Titus. Uh, Titus is a small uh, series of chapters or short series of chapters, I should say, rather than they use the word small. Titus chapter 1, Titus is a person that uh, did ministry with um, Paul, St. Paul. Titus chapter 1, 1 to 16, then chapter 2, then through chapter 3, 8. Um, Titus is a wonderful series of chapters, three chapters in all. Let's just read a couple of verses. He talks about an elder uh, in verse 6. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And so he says what that person is and the importance of having overseers and leaders in the church that are godly people. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. I love verse 1. You must teach what is it is in accord with sound doctrine. That's what we're trying to do here. Teaching what is in accord with sound doctrine. Now, the sound doctrine is coming from the scriptures. We need to interpret the scriptures appropriately, rightly, truthfully, not wrongly, not heretically. Okay? That's very important. And then that becomes the doctrine by which we live by. Look at... uh, Wednesday, 2.11. For the grace of God, now this scripture is in the uh, Christmas service. For the grace of God that appears salvation, that appears, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness, verse 12, chapter 2, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearance of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Remember, I referred to Jesus few minutes ago in terms of him coming back again Um, and we see that in Revelation 12 where Satan was hurled to the earth but his time is short and the time ends when Jesus returns we call that the second coming of Christ who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is right 214 These things are ones that you should teach, verse 15. These are things that you should teach. And then we see 3, 4, 5, and 6, and 7. We also see this as scripture readings for Christmas Day, okay? 2, 11 to uh, 15, and then we see the same thing in 3, Titus 3, Four to seven. That's pretty impressive that two readings from Titus would be on Christmas Day. So enjoy the book of Titus. Galatians chapter 3. Let's see what Galatians chapter 3 is about. This is Paul's letter to the Galatians. Chapter 3, 1 to 14. He's talking about faith and observance of the law. Verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us. Now, the whole redemption idea happens when Jesus Christ dies on the cross for us. But first, he has to be born, and we're celebrating his birth on Christmas Day. We prepare for it in Advent for a week. 
He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles who did not know Christ, who were not Jews, would come through Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Okay, remember that promise was given to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, which David, as you know, responded in the second half of that chapter very well to. And God makes the promise to David. He has secured the promise in Christ, and it extends until Jesus comes back again. Galatians chapter 3, 15 to 22. The whole scripture, the scripture, verse 22, declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. Remember the devil thrown down? He makes captive those who submit to him. So that what was promised, see that word promised again? We, heard, we saw that in, in terms of verse 14 in the promise of the Spirit. Being given through faith in Christ. Now the promise is only given through faith in Christ. Christ and faith in him are the crucial things. We need to repent of our sins. Remember I said that earlier. And we need to put our faith in Christ might be given to those who believe. The scripture declares that the whole world is a prison of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Christ Jesus, might be given to those who believe. So we need to hear the message, we need to believe, we need to repent of our sins, and we need to put our faith in Christ. That is the gospel message. But again, he has to be born. 3.23 to 4.7, very famous scripture it says, um, um, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, we are not sons of God or children of God just because we're born. We're only sons and daughters of God through faith in Christ. That's what makes a person a child of God, is to be in Christ. Outside of Christ, we are not. If all of us were children of God, then all those people would be saved. But we are not ipso facto automatically children of God. We become children of God, sons of God, daughters of God, followers of God by putting our faith in Christ. So that is very, very, very important to do. Okay? Now look at 4.4. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, this is Mary, born under the law, all the law was kept, to redeem those under the law, redemption, save us from our sins, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Nobody is born a son or daughter of God. We are adopted into the family of God. We are not born into the family of God. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, that very close relationship with God. Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. Since you are a son, God has made you an heir. So now those of us that know Christ, love Christ, repent of our sins, follow Christ, put our faith in Christ, growing in Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. We are children of God. We are sons and daughters of God. We are in his family as adopted members, not natural. And when he comes to receive us, either by the second coming or our death, we will spend eternity with him and in him. Finally, on Christmas Eve, you see Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that phenomenal series of verses regarding the uh, fact that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 11, 10 and 11 of chapter 2. 
And so that's the mindset that we want to have. Our attitude should be the same as Christ in verse 5. And then it talks about who Christ is in the very nature of God, made himself nothing. He humbled himself, found in appearance as a man. That's what we're going to celebrate uh, on uh, the incarnation. He is born uh, in the womb of Mary, nine months, regular process, and is born on Christmas Day. Is given the name Jesus um, several days later, January 1st, and we go from there. He is born, he's raised, he grows up, he begins his ministry at 30, he dies on the cross about 33 years old for us. John 3, 16 to 21, you know, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then it talks about a few more scriptures after that. Read that scripture, it's a very good one. Luke chapter 1, all right, now Luke chapter 1 and 2 deal with the birth of Jesus. So chapter 1 is dealing with what happened before the birth of Jesus. How did we get there? Okay? In chapter 2, he's going to be born. Chapter 2. You can look at chapter 2. Okay. But in chapter 1, we've got to deal with the issue of John the Baptist and his birth to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who was barren. Now, Zechariah was upright. Both of them were upright, verse 6 in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They love God. Uh, and he had, he, Zechariah, was a priest and a very significant person. And he, Zechariah, is approached by the great Gabriel in verse 19. I stand in the presence of God. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I I have been sent to speak to you and tell you the good news. Okay? You're going to have John the Baptist. You're going to have this incredible child. Chapter 1, 26 to 38 is just a fantastic reading about in the sixth month, God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now, six months later, so John the Baptist is six months older than Jesus, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, 2 Samuel chapter 7. The virgin's name was Mary, and she has been favored by God. And in verse 31, you are going to be with child, give birth to a son. You're going to give him the name of Jesus. The name Jesus, he's going to be great. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. 2 Samuel chapter 7 again. There is David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And you go back and read 2 Samuel 7 again, and you'll see those same words. Now, this is 1,000 years later. 1,000, not 100, not 50 years later, not a decade later. 1,000. So we have the birth of John the Baptist after uh, the praise of God for Mary and the praise of God after the birth of um, uh, John the Baptist by Zechariah in uh, verse 67 following. John is miraculously born. And then uh, next time we'll look at the birth of Jesus Christ, which again, I pray that all of you will have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas day. In Matthew chapter 1, this is Mark. Now, I'm sorry, Matthew. Mark and John do not have infancy narratives. Luke has an infancy narrative, chapter 1 and chapter 2. Matthew has an infancy narrative. Matthew chapter 1 18 to 25. Do you see that on December 24th in your 
post. That's how the birth of Jesus came about. The birth of Jesus. Okay? An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, this is verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because she gets pregnant. And he's going, how did that happen? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You already give him the name Jesus. I'm going to tell you his name. I'm going to tell you how she got pregnant. Because he will save his people from their sins. Because Yeshua, which is the same word for Joshua in the Old Testament, is Yahweh saves. The Lord saves. So Jesus' name means salvation. And it was a, a common name. It was not an uncommon name. Joshua actually is the Old Testament name, the Hebrew name. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. That is the famous Isaiah 7, 14. So, verse 24, Joseph woke up. He did what the Lord commanded. He took Mary home and his, his wife. They gave him the name Jesus. So this beautiful series of scriptures in the week of four Advent is just a wonderful time to take different scriptures in the Bible, literally from Genesis to Revelation, from Genesis 3 to Revelation 20, 12, and in between, and see what God is doing in the scriptures. Take your time. Enjoy. Give yourself some time to meditate and think about these scriptures. They are fabulous and they are important. Next week, we'll look at the scriptures concerning Christmas Day and following. Have a beautiful Christmas Day. God bless you. And may this be a wonderful week of learning, study, and reflection. See you next time. <music>